Welcome to Movie-ish. This is the third and final part of our fourth episode, where we will be discussing our review of Midnight Mass. If you want to hear the news from the past two weeks and trailers, check out part one. And if you want to hear our thoughts on the last two episodes of What If and Star Wars Visions, check out part two. And lastly, we are going to cover the new um, miniseries on Netflix, Midnight Mass. This is the third show that uh mike flanagan has done for netflix i have been a huge fan of his two previous efforts the haunt the haunting of hill house and the haunting of Bly manor so i was like i was super excited for midnight mass and i know you were too parker yeah i'm a big fan of mike flanagan um mostly his work with netflix that's how i got into him i've seen a few of his movies um but just forewarning we are going to be going over the entirety of Midnight Mass, so there will be spoilers in this review. Um, I don't even know where you want to start, like, just overall, and then we can kind of dive into it. I mean, I guess we can, since this is going to be a big discussion, we can go in, like, saying, like, what our expectations were. Specific stuff. Well, I was going to yeah. say, like, what we oh, expected yeah, okay. to get from it, and then, like, what, then we'll go into, like, a deeper discussion with the spoilers and where it went. So, like, coming from like the haunting of hill house and the haunting of blind manor specifically going off of those two since this is a show this is a longer form than any of his movies um he is able to merge uh horror with these just deeper very like hard-hitting themes like hill house was very big on grief and mental illness and then like Bly Manor was just this this love story that was very beautiful it was like two it was like two or three love stories really there was multiple love stories right at the crux of it and all there's Gerald's game which I, is all about toxic relationships yeah i haven't seen Gerald's game i've seen Oculus which is very it's much about like uh trauma childhood trauma in a way so yeah like i love it i love how deep these horror films and shows are i mean he's like in my mind especially following this show he's the modern master of horror like he does horror right like horror doesn't like there's a room for schlock horror like we discussed malignant like not everything has to be deep but you still like there can be like this very prestige like this very like like deep like this very like meaningful story at the core of horror horror doesn't just have to be a schlock genre right and i mean like if you go back to like early horror it was often a metaphor for like uh incredibly tragic or like incredibly meaningful things like what is it uh <clears throat> what is that zombie film day of the dead or dawn of the dead night of the living dead no what is the night of the living dead like there's night of the living dead which i mean like zombies have always been a solid metaphor but like you, you see it all the time yeah but i think it's just but like this guy is doing it right yeah and i think that like what you're saying is like horror did lose its way for a while when it was like the slasher genre like a lot of them the earlier ones they did have a point but then like they got franchised and you know there's like 10 nightmare on elm streets 10 friday the 13th 10 like all of these movies and it kind of loses the core and it's like we're just going for shock and slot schlock but so I guess my expect I didn't really know what to expect with this one because he was this was different. He wasn't doing another the haunting of story. This was a new story, and it was um, 
I think it was touted, and I think it was shown, obviously, that there was going to be, through the trailers and just conversations and, like, the bylines, that religion was going to play a part in it. And the most interesting thing is, like, going into it, I literally had no idea, like, what the supernatural of it all, what the horror element of it all was going to be. I didn't know how far. Right. I I, I couldn't have told you my guess. Yeah, and, like, I was a little disappointed that it wasn't another haunting of, uh, that he wasn't continuing with that, just because I loved those first two. Mm -hmm. And I assumed this would be demonic in nature. Just because it you know, mass cap uh, Catholicism. Um, I felt like demons was the easy answer, which is just what I assumed. Yeah, it's the demons. I'm so happy he didn't go that route. Yeah, no, the route he goes in this show with the horror is masterstroke. Like it is, it might be one of the best blendings of like we'll just go out and say it of an established horror like creature with in keeping with the theme of the story you want to take. Like, a lot of times you get these these stories where it's just like, oh, and we're going to throw this thing in there. Like, it doesn't even mesh well at times. Um, I was like you, though. I was disappointed when he's like, oh, I'm doing this next. And I was like, oh, it's not a haunting one. I really, I just been loving those. I love the tone. I love the ambiance. And to go off that, it's very obvious early on, just even in that first episode, that this is shot differently. This has a very different... It still ends up having that, you know, that same unsettling ambiance, but in a very different way. Like, when you talk about the haunting of Hill House and the haunting of Bly Manor, they have... I don't know how to describe this in a way that doesn't make it reductive in a way compared to this. Like, there's a very real undercurrent. And very, like, you could could almost feel yourself living in a situation like Midnight Mass. Whereas... The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor have that very storyteller-esque aspect to it, if, right, if you're right, following right. me. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree. And so I think that adds more so to the dread you end up feeling later in this show. And, I mean, do you just kind of want to start diving in now? Yeah, I mean, I had a few things. Like, this show did two things simultaneously that I am in almost disbelief at how well it does it um it both shows how beautiful uh religion can be and how amazing certain aspects of religion are uh like a sense of community and then also like just the way um what is his name something linklotter father paul's actor hamish hamish linklotter hamish linklotter's i mean it's all pre-written and in it but it's like i felt he was such a an amazing actor in this a beautiful orator and like i i don't know i felt like there was a lot of beauty in the way that he presented uh a lot of catholicism and then also uh what's his name uh who played the sheriff dude i, sh- I had rahul it's rahul Kohli. yeah in his explanation of islam like such amazing beautiful like uh it it describes like there's a thing and just going off what you're saying there is so many beautiful like these very deep introspective conversations especially regarding religion mortality and death and it shows how so many different people can view religion and it's like when you're talking about the beauty of it it talks like you can see the true goodness 
at the core of religion and you can see what oh, religion means to different people and how different people can view it and right. coming full circle to that you also see the very bad side right. of religion and it does this simultaneously with uh samantha sloan's bev keen yeah bev keen will go down in history as one of the most vile and yet fully realized like villains oh absolutely she's fully realized and i love the way they go about it because and like parker and i will tell you we are we're not religious we were raised religious so like there's a very this at times i mean we weren't catholic though so like it could only get so deep for us in that respect but there was times in this where it's like i i a lot of it resonated with me on a deeper level like when you're talking about like riley like the way he's like he was raised religious but he's just like i don't he doesn't see the i don't know if they because i binge this so i'm trying to remember exactly when he's talking about not wanting to go and i think it comes down to like his when he's in his alcoholics anonymous meetings with the father paul is the name he goes by um and he's just talking about there's a certain viewpoint that these people take where it's like you have to give your power to someone else and he doesn't like that like you're giving there's someone else who's out there and he's very much about self-empowerment and it's a and i if this had been longer and if the the certain story beats that didn't have to happen you could have even they could have even gone further if this wasn't just like any horror at all, and this was just a true meditation on religion, he's Riley's almost like he. What what would you say? Like he's not agnostic. It's like his it's it's his personal empowerment in a way and realization. Which well, yeah. isn't that? I don't know if I'm not. I mean, he is he is atheist, right? Like does he, he talks about? Does it. he say he's atheist? Like, I think he says it. I mean, he, he might not. I. I assumed he was, um, but it comes from a place of personal empowerment. Um, and like, I think there's a lot of things in here about how sometimes there are Catholics who feel like a lot of Catholicism has to deal with guilt. And that's a big part of, uh, Riley's character is the guilt that he feels. And maybe his atheism is a result of not wanting to feel more guilty yeah because um, of this but, like what's happened in his life he's like i've had enough guilt why would right I put right more right, on right. myself but flanagan so he gives there's you know the catholic aspect of this there's the uh islamic aspect of the show and then there's that you know a religious i don't know if he's completely atheist or agnostic or anything but you know not following into like an organized religion he gives Riley that beautiful monologue about what he thinks happens when he die and it is without religion but it's still beautiful and yeah and it's poignant acceptable right oh and it's so good yeah and but like what I like to think going down to what Riley says about what happens when you die is his is still coming from like this in a way it is a beautiful thought but he's coming at it almost from a nihilistic perspective but then when that conversation is reiterated at the very end when Kate Siegel's Aaron Green is dying, I I think that full circle adds the beauty to her realizing like she's 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 like saying she's following Riley's sentiment, but she's like Right, right. You're seeing it. It's like you're she's experiencing that and it just 
it is there's so much yeah. beauty in this show and it's like religion death oh, absolutely. Uh, and it, it it touches on addiction with the character of riley and the character of uh is it joe coley is that the character's name yes which this isn't the first time we've seen addiction be dealt with in a flanagan series um yeah yeah you're right and but it he takes this one this is more about overcoming that addiction rather than like i mean joe coley does focus on like what that addiction can lead you to do oh yeah but i think he's i didn't want this to i didn't want my comment to sound like i was saying that negatively no 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 no. he flanagan has handled it incredibly well every time i've seen him you know discuss this so so those are a lot of the broad topics on it but i guess like to get further into just discussing our thoughts on the plot once again like Flanagan is very good at the slow burn and I think he because one of my major criticisms of Bly Manor was the show was too long it could have been shorter it was a bit stretched thin at times compared to Hill House and I think he realized that in writing and planning the show out the show's only seven episodes which I think works very well because you get the first two episodes there's like hints you know, those typical, like, oh, what's this? And it's not until the last episode that you fully realize that, hey, there is something, there's something going on outside of just, like, oh, this weird new priest came to town. Like, there's something off about him. Like, there's this. And then it goes into the stage where it's like, okay, we're finding out, and you go further with it. And then the last two episodes are just, it has a very solid three-act structure, and I don't think there's, like, I know you said at times it gets a little too monologue And while I understand and I respect that opinion, it didn't it didn't feel that way for me. I think it worked very well. Yeah, I think, I mean, just while watching, it would be like, oh, here's another monologue. And it somewhat took me out of the experience. But because they were written and acted so well, I'm not going to, like, knock them. They were beautiful. It felt almost at times like uh, stage production with how many monologues there were. I mean, it kind of just felt like Flanagan talking or speaking through these characters at times. Like, it it wasn't natural, so it kind of took me out of the... Yeah, and I mean, he has said this is his most personal series, because I think he was raised Catholic and everything. And you can totally feel... Because it's very interesting, because even though this is very personal, you don't know which character is really speaking his opinion, his personal opinion, because he gives, like we said every aspect of all of this a point of view and a voice right and i mean it's done so well each voice that i mean it's probably all thoughts that he's had yeah because there's a growth to it right um something that i liked that is almost like a callback to uh bly manor is how um Riley sees, you know, this ghost, quote-unquote, from his past. Um, That was something that I really liked. Uh, The way that um, Flanagan shows guilt to the audience. You know, he's showing it in a way that is very physical and easy to uh grasp and i mean it's and it's like it comes back to like part of the theme of hill house where it's like you can be haunted and it's not necessarily like a ghost everybody's haunted by the past and it really yeah it's like 
it's done so well in this. And it's almost like he assumes we've seen those shows. And it's done well enough that you don't have to. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, this is like the guilt that, um, what's her face? I can't remember her name. The lady who played Nellie in season one. Oh, shit. Old uh, Nellie. Victoria Pedretti, I think is her name. Yeah. So it's like, it's very similar to the way guilt manifested. Yeah. And so to go further with the plot, like, there's so many just deep, well-written characters. So, like, Riley, and he does a very good bait-and-switch. Riley, you assume, is your the main character. But Riley dies at the end of the second act in this just beautifully, this beautiful sacrifice. But it's traumatizing and horrifying for Aaron's character because she has to witness this guy that like she's in love with this guy she's loved for decades now probably because I don't I can't yeah it's I got a heart the one of the things I had a weird sense on is like how old is Riley and how old is Aaron because like Riley's younger brother is in high school like yeah I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't completely get it um like that that age but it's done well enough that you could just assume they had riley's brother yeah later in life but it's also because like he wanted because and this is like something and it's just because i got i have my nose to the ground and i watch a lot of stuff like when it came to his parents um the doctor's mother and even like the mayor and his wife like i know like you could tell they're wearing makeup and i was like it's weird that he's doing this. And I was like, I, there's got to be a reason. And I guess that there was going to be something that happened to where they were going to get younger. And it just made, there was a, yeah, you mentioned that to me. And I, when we were both watching the first episode, I just, it's, it just stood out. Cause I mean, and it's not necessarily that the makeup is terrible. I think it was just, but I think it was a purposeful effect. So it would be very obvious that you would notice. Cause like, obviously it's well, it's, it's, overtly stated with the doctor's mother because her who she is and the core of how she connects to father paul is very important and she's supposed to be like that plot line like her healing in a way and like de-aging essentially but with riley's parents you slowly notice like the dad's hair gets a little less gray the mom stops wearing glasses the dad stops wearing glasses the dad's back gets better because they have a mention of him having a bad back and then he starts noticing his back starting to feel better and like the mayor and his wife i think the mayor has a little bit less gray hair they both stop wearing glasses like it's very small stuff with these other characters right and it, it was done really well i the only person i really noticed it for was um uh, what's his name from E.T.? Thomas. Yeah, and I mean, it's just because he's been a mainstay of Flanagan that you're like, I know yeah, he's not so that like, old. I noticed it. And so when I saw that, I really thought they were going to do flashbacks. And so instead of like de-aging, they just aged them a lot for the current stuff so that when they did flashbacks, it'd be younger. That was just my gut reaction when I saw him. Uh, but like, it's brilliant what he did and it's done so well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but and you mentioned uh, Father Paul, the actor Hamish Linklater. The oh, way so his character is written, and so this is where you really get into it. So he sees he's this. You find out, I think, what is it, episode three, that he is actually their old Monsignor. I don't really know what the title Monsignor means. I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know if that's just like a fancy oh. title for father or what. 
Yeah, let me look it up. But uh, anyways, you find out because, he is their old yeah. their old priest that they'd sent off to go on like this pilgrimage. And he got he had dementia and he wandered out into the desert and uh, he met an angel. And this is where this fusion of the story and the theme and this horror element of a vampire being interpreted as an angel of God is beautiful, amazing. It is just so amazing. Because, and I mean, they go off this line a lot, like saying, like, anytime an angel appears in the Bible, uh, they're always like, be not afraid. And because vampires are very frightening looking, and the angels are supposed to be frightening looking. And Parker and I were being raised on religion. We actually know, like, if you don't know, angels are supposed to be, like, way more scary looking than a vampire. Like, they're supposed to be something that is almost beyond your cat capacity to really imagine in a way like they're so just ethereal and odd looking right and so like father um so his, what's his name his real name oh, is father pruitt yeah, his, father paul his name is father his real name is john pruitt but he goes by like paul he hill goes by paul. paul hill i think is the name right. he goes by when he comes back yeah um so like father pruitt you see this at the end talking about how so I, I like I feel like this vampire coming to him and his explanation for what the vampire is this angel um is him like losing sight of what Christianity is really about and he's focusing on himself and he's like oh I am chosen by God and it's a lot of you know self-righteous um and so he's healing all these people but it's not really him it's this vampire but he's claiming it's an angel and that it's God but he's getting all this attention and yeah right and it's you know he's claiming that these are miracles but it's it's done in such a terrible way and at a terrible cost uh, and at a terrible cost right and so but and it's right there at the end when he's talking to Bev Keating when he's like this isn't about me none of this is supposed to be about me right it's about it's supposed to be about God it's supposed to be it's about you know it, it it's just it's about yeah it's so good. That line was so fantastic. But you even find out the core of his motivation, like he admits it to Mildred Gunning, is that he did it when he realized what the power of this, what he's perceiving as an angel can do. And he's had this guilt and this regret over this. Right. Yeah, what yeah. he did so in his self, yeah, It's a very self-motivated. It's very self-serving motivation and it's like and it's just very interesting um, to see all these because he's like supposed to be this like this pure person as you can state and even he is he knowing i don't even know if it was necessarily knowingly is when he's admitting admitting it or if it was like more of a like a subconscious like he's really doing it for this and he doesn't realize until the end that that's why he was doing everything yeah but the and that was my take that was my take is, is he yeah he realizes yeah. it and then you get to bev keen and bev keen is your through and through the worst representation of a religious person who anybody that does not adhere to how I perceive things written in the Bible is wrong and they need to be saved. And if they don't want to be saved, they're going to hell or much worse, as you see in the show. Like she sees them as not worth it. And then like even when it comes to the sheriff, she sees him as unclean. Like she's just a racist. Like, she calls him a terrorist at the end. She calls him a terrorist. She says he has dirty blood when he, like, makes a joke about, oh, are you hungry? And when he's bleeding and being shot, she calls him saying he has dirty blood. Like, she's just a terrible character, but it's so well acted. 
Like, it's a character so you're supposed I. to hate. And you do because for some people, we've met people like this. Like, shit, dude, we're related to people like this. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and that's what's so great about this. I, it, you are hard-pressed, I think, to find somebody in the United States who does not know Christians who act in this way. And so she's such a real representation of that aspect of Christianity and um, or religion as a whole. You know, it it doesn't have to be Christianity. I'm sure this is very personal to Mike Flanagan. Um, But like there were a lot of religious beats in this. Right. Like you talked about the vampire being an angel thing. I also loved the metaphor of the classic. You have to drink the vampire's blood to become a vampire. Uh, and that connection to the Eucharist and Jesus saying, you know, you have to drink my blood. Uh, you don't have to, but like drink my blood. It is like nourishment. A representation of his blood. Sometimes it's not actually representation. I think there was like a really heated debate about whether once you bless the, the wine and bread, it literally becomes Jesus's flesh and blood. Like, that is, like, a thing that some people believe. I didn't know that. That it's... That's yeah. a more morbid undertone to that. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's a big thing in maybe Catholicism. I learned about it in my in a Christianity class I took. But, like, so it's, it's so well done how he can see this situation and apply his, relig- his incredibly, like, uh, deep religious belief um, to... The, the vampire, uh, oh, this is an angel. And it's just him explaining away the situation using his religion, which I think is something that you kind of see a bit in the show. Yeah, and to so even to go further with that, there's also the mid-ground aspect to religion where you have all these people that just automatically listen. Like when it comes down to that insane ending of episode six with the group suicide, where these people are just so enraptured in the moment and in belief of, the father is saying and then they like the people that hold down the sheriff when he pulls the gun out like it's like you're you are in such total belief of what this man is saying you don't see the insanity and the real like just what the hell are you people doing that you're gonna hold down the sheriff and listen to the father and even bev keen after the fact because you know you have um who is it? Mildred Gunning. She ends up shooting him in the head, but he can't die. And then the vampire, the angel takes her out. And so Bev Keen takes the way and she sees this and it is, it shows how like calculated she is as a character. She's like, Oh, he's out of the count for the count for a little bit. So now I can start doing things more my way. And she's like, we are going to rid the town of the people that I, I perceive as not worthy. And you are all going to listen to me. And she's very controlling. Like the one character Sturge, he's not a bad that that character is not a bad person either him the mayor and the mayor's wife those three are wrapped into what is happening because they're they're yeah i and i don't even mean this negative good people but they just who have been manipulated by religion and by religious figureheads which we see all the time and they saw something that they couldn't believe with the mayor and the mayor's daughter being healed right yeah, which was also, you know, incredibly well done. Oh, so well done. Uh, as far as, like, the scene was shot and acted, it was so good. But yeah, these these people are being taken advantage of by religious figureheads, and the religion is used against them to serve some, you know, foul goal. 
Which is really this vampire trying to get more people. Because I think, like, isn't that a thing in vampirism? Like, in yeah, vamp- they're trying to spread stories where, their, like, they spread their blood because they want their army. They want their brood. Right. And it's a big thing where, like, you kill the main vampire and, like, the rest are kind of, like, cured or no longer vampires or they all die. Something like that. Yes. Yeah, so, like, this vampire is trying to grow its army. And you see that mimicked in Father Pruitt. Um, discussing how they're going to be an army for God. And it goes from, you know, this small town of incredibly docile fishermen, which is also a big, like, Christian symbol, um, to this militaristic, violent um, uh, army going to attack the not worthy. It's a great, great representation of how religion can be used um, to violent ends, right? Which we've seen throughout history, and we see it today even. It's so well done. Yeah, and it's like Bev Keen it always has a Bible verse she can take out to interpret to her needs. Oh, that's such a good point. I'm so happy you said that. I love... And, it, and I mean, you see Father Pruitt do it as well, but he does it from a much more nuanced position. And he does it... Oftentimes, like, I feel like he did it a lot in... Uh, during the Alcoholic Anonymous meetings. Um, but he does it very well. Whereas when she does it, you know she is twisting that to such a hard degree. Oh, yeah, no. Just to prove her point. Like, um, just like another moment when uh, Riley's mom goes to distract Sturge and Bev Keen in the last episode. And it's like, she takes a very... Like, she's confronting Bev Keen. Yeah, but I just love how she confronts Bev Keen. She says, you, there's, I need to tell you something. And I think it's something you've needed to hear your entire life. And she just says, you're not a good person. That's such a controlled, but still a very, like when you really think about it to the core, like telling someone they're just not a good person is actually a horrific insult. Like you're just not a good person way worse than just calling them names. Cause like I was sitting there like, I'm angry as hell at this character when I'm watching, I'm being like, you stupid bitch, you dumb. <laughs> like I was cussing. Yeah. yeah but she's yeah, just yeah. like, you're not a good person just because you go to church or whatnot and you do this that doesn't make you better why does it hurt you so much to think that god loves these people that you think are beneath you why does that hurt you why does that aggravate you so much and i think that is such an important statement to be made about the current say even the current state of how people super religious people act in the country right now it is so and it it just hits home there's a lot of it that hits really it's also incredibly unchristian like if you actually read the gospels and how jesus acted and who jesus surrounded himself with it to first off to judge people as a whole is incredibly unchristian and then the people that oftentimes we see uh christian leaders um hating and and discussing as if they're less than are the people that jesus would have surrounded himself with so i think what uh who was it again um riley's mom Mm -hmm. uh character name is annie annie uh flynn her comments on like her comments are as christian as it gets like why does it bother you that these people that you don't deem worthy might be seen as worthy in the eyes of god you know that's it's not for you to judge and like that's the biggest thing is like i feel like 
Bev's character is such a great representation of Christians as sometimes they are today. And uh, Riley's mom is a great representation of how Christians should see things, right? Yeah, because it's like it is aggravating at times. Like when Aaron's character is trying to get them to leave after, you know, Riley has died in front of her done this sacrifice to show her like hey this is what's really going on and i know this is the only way you're going to believe me but it's also riley's sacrifice just cutting to that is so much deeper because he realizes the pain he will cause people and the evil what has been done to him will lead to and he's already caused pain to people in a normal life and he's like i don't want to live with that i cannot live with that and he realizes this is a true good act in killing himself essentially which is a very interesting it's a it's it's a beautifully sad ending to that character right it's so good um Um, but like his parents still are like we're going to mass why aren't you going to mass like his parents are still deeply religious but when the chips are laid down in that group suicide his parents are two that are just like no this ain't it because they realize (laughs) this is fucking jonestown and uh, you talked about it. That might have been one of the most horrifying scenes I've seen in a minute. The cult-like mentality of that scene, followed by the transition of all those people and the vampires, was so, so scary, dude. Oh, no, it scared the... Like, leading up to it, I, like, had this deep, deep, unsettled feeling, like in my stomach like i was just like you just a sense of dread you know what's going to happen you you, as soon as they get in there and you kind of you're like oh i see where this is going a big surprise and then even when you get the confirmation when bev goes into the back and you see all the cups and you see the rat poison um oh it's so good it's so good and there's some smaller beats like when she kills joe Cawley's dog like which was a a fucking horrifying scene that scene like i was like oh shit yeah. Also, whoever plays Joe Connolly acted his ass off in that scene. That was acting. That also, well, both they he's got two scenes in the show that are just top tier acting. Peak. Oh, absolutely. That was one of them. Um, I don't know. I guess we can talk about the other now. Yeah, go ahead. When uh, was it Lisa? Lisa, yeah. Lisa was talking to him, uh, and in that's uh, I I feel two different ways about this. Like, it shows the power of acceptance and forgiveness. And you see Joe react, which is just such a a very touching moment. But it also, I don't know, it's kind of superficial to me. Her her willingness to forgive only after the act has been, yeah, removed. So, it, I was like... It shows that she wasn't, she hadn't truly forgiven him. She's forgiving him right. now because it's the what the damage is done. She's like, I can forgive you now. Yeah, so it's like, is that true forgiveness? I don't know. So one thing I'll state, maybe to like to just devil's advocate that is maybe she literally just never could have gotten the opportunity when she's in a wheelchair to have that one-on-one moment with him because she's sequestered yeah, to a wheelchair. Point. So you you right. could say that, and we don't really know because that is like just. But I think she does say like she like hated him and wished he could be in her position oh yeah maybe in getting her her ability to walk back she was able to see how wrong she was which i can kind of understand but it still felt superficial which i think is 
kind of part of it, right? Like all these, oh, the church is packed tonight. But that's not faith. Like you don't have faith anymore. You've been given, you've been shown miracles and now you're starting to believe, even though those miracles have nothing to do with God, right? Like these people aren't faithful. They are just now given quote unquote proof. That's why they're there. So I feel like the show does a good job of showing the superficiality of, of some religious mm -hmm. uh, people. And I uh, just to go back to what you're talking about with the character of Lisa, I think that's one of probably my my biggest issue with the show. And it's it's still minor. It's the fact that her and Warren Flynn are the only two characters to survive. And there's such a importance put on that in the last episode that I just wish in those because besides that scene in the middle with her confronting Chokali. Um, there's not a lot of time spent with either of those characters after she's healed. Warren, I don't think, really gets anything after she's healed. Like, he's just kind of this background character. Yeah, you see him at the church a lot. Because he's one of the... He's not an altar boy. Altar boys. Well, he is, but they... Wait, isn't he an altar boy? He, well, his brother says something else. Gives says, you're a so-and-so. Like, And he's saying, oh, I never went that far when he first shows up. But it's like, it's, oh, yeah, it's something I with the titles that. of yeah. it. And it's like, I don't know. We weren't right. Catholic. We weren't Catholic. We didn't have any of that. Um, but yeah, that episode with Lisa and Joe is also uh, episode three when we got that reveal. Um, but it also had... The phenomenal conversation about Islam in it. That was a great episode. Dude, that like, was the... From start to finish. Yeah, so yeah, we, going to that conversation in the school, that was the episode, like, Bev Keen was annoying before that, but it was that conversation right. where I was like, oh, I hate this bitch. Because it's it's so interesting. Like, she, it's such a... I, also, nobody brought up, like, I don't... Did anybody bring up, like, the Constitution and separation of church and state? Nope. Maybe Aaron. I think Aaron tried to, no, but I she didn't... kept getting pushed down. She was. Tr I think she would have gone that right. way. They could have, because she kept saying this is a public. So school. it wasn't. There was an. Oh, you're right. They, she did say that, but nobody brought it that far. It was a very just religious debate about her being against Islam and him being like, you can't force your religious beliefs at a public school on my kid. And then she was like, oh, I know you don't believe in Jesus. That was so good because I feel like not many Americans really know that much about Islam and how they absolutely accept the existence and uh, all, all that Jesus did. They fully accept it. But they they just don't he, believe that he was. They just, yeah, they just think he's a prophet, right? That's what they say. They just think Jesus right. was another prophet. And Exactly. And I think – and it's, it shows once again how she can twist words. And it's very clear that she's twist, twisting her words to Aaron and the sheriff – but to everybody else that is subconsciously not wanting to listen and just wants to stay like, yo, I'm Christian. Like when they clap at the end and she's like, what's the point in reading a few verses from the good book in homeroom? And I'm like, there is a lot of bad from that. It's indoctrination. Oh, absolutely. It's, indo it's indoctrination. Absolutely. Religion has no place in a school that is not a religious school. And that is a very personal issue to me. So that's that's why that scene aggravated me so much. I was like, oh, my right. God, I'm losing my damn mind. But yeah, Rahul Kohli, because he's in uh, he was in Bly Manor, and he was a very different character, like just night and day different. Um, so he's I just I hope he stays. He becomes a mainstay of Flanagan now because he's so great. Um, yeah, me too. I like him a lot. 
there's just I'm trying to think. There's just so much. There's to, a lot. Joe Coley yeah. as a character, his ending is so unbelievably tragic. Like it hurt. Oh. It hurt. Well, so it hurt for a couple reasons, right? Like he sees Father Pruitt drinking what he thinks is the sacrament, the wine. I'm, so I'm, yeah, it, it gives. Dude, you... I'm surprised I remembered Eucharist as if what is you know, Eucharist? A vocab word. Like, what is Eucharist? Actually? Eucharist is like the uh, the act of eating the flesh of Christ and like drinking so the blood. It's of Christ. the act in communion. Is it essentially? Yeah, okay. yeah, communion, dude. I couldn't think of communion, but Eucharist. Yeah, came dude, out you said Eucharist, me. and I was just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's, you know, my further education. But yeah, so like whatever, he's drinking. I think it's the sacrament. Isn't that what it's often called? Well, it's called? mixed. I don't think Or I is the sacrament? I think that well, he's The sacrament is what's called the wine, but I think Father Paul and uh Bev Kane just start calling the the blood the sacrament. Like they they go full they go full tilt into saying the real sacrament is this blood from this angel. Oh, yeah, okay, so the sacrament, I just Googled it, is the consecrated elements of the Eucharist. So the bread and the the blo- the body and the blood. So, yeah, yeah, but he's drinking the vampire blood. But to Joe Con- Con- Connolly? Excuse me. To Joe Coley, he's seeing who is supposed to be his AA host, like, down in a bunch of wine. You know what I mean? So it's like, Right, and so he's, like, confused, and it's just, he doesn't deserve it, because he's this person who has been ridden with guilt, and ridden with, uh, uh, just, like, you know, alcoholism, and being seen as an outcast, and he's, he's been, oh yeah, addiction, and so, like, him finally taking that turn for the better, and the person who's kind of the source of that, Father Pruitt, being the one who kills him is just so depressing and then this is where bev keen once again makes her turn she finds him and she's like no he was filth he was a scourge he is worthless and it's just like no even the lowest of life like there is still a humanity to us all we still all deserve life like just because and like this goes back oh it just hurt me yeah go ahead i was just gonna say this goes back to like, Joe would be somebody that Jesus would sit with and talk to and help. You know what I mean? According to the scripture. And so, like, for her to, to consider that, especially if he's, like, on the on the path to a better life, you know what I mean? For her to consider him filth, it shows how she sees other people. And it's just disgusting. Oh, also, huge plot point, she's a terrible person. She doesn't actually care about these people. She forced them all to take the settlement for the uh, oh, yeah. oil spill and then use that money for the church. Like, she's an awful, awful human being. And there's a, and, there's like, a lot of deserves... talk about the fact that they don't, like, a lot of people don't believe that, like, all that money was actually used for this building. Right, yeah, that is a big thing. Where you know, it, it, I mean, like, it's so awful what she did to this community. Um and you know she's just this self-righteous awful human being and it's but it's that inner like that want to rid of everything which ultimately ends up being her downfall when she says we're going to burn this whole island down that's the beginning of it at the end and then when that one guy who 
Sturge, Sturge, right? yeah, who he turns, remember? And she, like, sees him in the crowd at the end of the vampires. And she singles him out, and she's like, oh, like, hey, Howard Hobson, I think is his name, or something like that. And she just starts, like, basically ridiculing him for not going to church and basically being like, oh, yeah, you killed your wife and kids. Well, if you had gone to church, you would have known how to bring them back, how to get out of that situation when it's all her fault that that happened because she unleashed them all onto the thing. And then she's like, yeah, there's no room for you. And then Sturge is like, but I, 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 he was always nice to me. I like him. I think he's a good person. And it, it kind of shows that schism. And then they burned, and then Father Paul and Mildred burned down the church. And then, oh, the sheriff's son. Like, that was oh, him and his son. Yeah, that, that was fantastic. Like, it hurt me when his well, son took, did the poison, converted himself. Oh, dude. But it's also like, um, so it's, I think it's a fantastic metaphor for cults within religions and how they spread. And the person who started the cult realizing what has happened and an even worse person taking over. Right, like, these are things that we've seen throughout history. And so, at the end, when a random member tried to convert somebody, uh, the head of the, you know, this cult, Bev, is like, yeah, no, he's not invited. He's not one of the chosen ones. Based off of my super arbitrary, you know, garbage. Uh, but the end of this show was so good when the real the way like the faithful come together and sing and then the father and the son are doing right and then she's she's fearful she's afraid yeah so you see the faithful and those who truly are who truly believe fully understand that their situation is there's no getting out of it so they come together in praise of their god you see the um the Christians singing songs and praising in that way. And then you see um, the the two Muslim characters. Uh, I, I don't know enough about Islam, but you see them, you know, praying to the to the rising sun, right? Like, uh, and so it's just such a, I thought that was so well done. That it shows that she really, you know, well, there's also the line earlier where uh, Miss, um, dude, I, Anne Flynn, is that her name? Where she talks about how, you know, we all have this belief that there's this better place that we're all going to, yet when it's our time, we, you know, scrape and cry for just a few more minutes. And so, and that's what Bev King does. So you see, you know, it's like, if you really believe this thing that you have devoted your life to, if you truly believed what you were saying, like, why wouldn't you just accept it with the rest of the religious people? But I think it was more of like a status thing for her. Mm-hmm. No, it's hundred percent. She thought she was holier than thou. Yeah, no, but it comes down, the chips are down, and she realizes she has lost all this power that she thought she had in this last moment, and that she, her death is inevitable now, and she's literally trying to dig into the ground so she can get in a hole. <laughs> and then she dies, and it's like, it is a poetic death. And I did like it, but at the same time, part of me was like, man, I wish someone could have just beat the shit out of her once. (laughs) But that was just a personal one. I know story-wise it works so well. Um, I'm trying to think of other moments. Oh, when Riley goes and Riley is attacked. Like, I was like, holy shit. 
Like that was a moment where I was like, oh, this show is like the way this show is going to go is going to be very different from what I was thinking, even with the realization that the main thing, it's like a vampire. So like, oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. him getting turned. Well, I, I suspected he was turned because of just like kind of the iconography and we didn't see a scene of him being like, oh, we need to hide the body again like they did with Joe Coley. And it was just, it was, <sighs> Riley, like the guy, the actor playing Riley, he does very good because it's a very understated performance. It's a very introspective performance where it's a lot of internal body language and just your the way you hold, the way you talk, the way you kind of like set yourself in a crowd. And he does it so very well. Like I don't, there's not a performance in this cast that is not just really amazing even with the little material they're given like even dad you know henry thomas he uh he does great like he oh he probably has some of my favorite dialogue in that last episode because he doesn't make it out of the church he gets attacked by the new vampires and then he's set out and you know his wife sacrifices herself to buy time for everybody else and so they're both vampires and they meet each other and so he's been a vampire for i don't know like an hour or two longer and she's mentioning how she's like, I can already feel that hunger and that want. And she's like, am I going to become like that, like this wild animal? And he's like, no. And he's like, I feel it too. And I've seen what they're doing. But no, I'm not. Like, it doesn't change who you are. Which I think is a great, once again, a metaphor for belief in how, what you truly use. Like, sometimes people use religion as a facade to just show, just to be a shitty person and say, no, this is the will of God. And him saying, you can't, basically he's saying, you can't do that. Like, that's not what it is. Yeah, it was so well done. That was a, that was a phenomenal conversation. Yeah, like, there was, uh, there's just, there's so much probably smaller conversations we're missing here. Like, we haven't even really talked about Erin Keene and, like, what she goes through with the miscarriage and everything. And she's such a central figure at the end. And the com like we mentioned the conversation about death and what we think and what she thinks happens when you die and then like their true sacrifice like it's there's so much to talk about with this show yeah honestly like it's just so packed full of um like little things too so like even if you're just looking at it as a genre the end of episode two when you see the vampire's eyes light up Dude, in that the was, corner. that was horrifying. I, so, like, I personally, when I was watching it, I thought it was going to be, uh, not, not even, like, like maybe a skinwalker or a wendigo or something. Because, dude, that was so scary. That was so scary. Yeah, I was, well, like, I watched the first two episodes with one of my roommates. And it got to that moment. And there was a moment when the character goes into the house and they hold for a minute and I was like, Oh, the door's just going to slam and you're going to hear screams, but then it cut and he's inside. And I was like, Oh shit. Oh shit. And I was like, Ooh, how's it going to go? And it just cuts and you see those eyes and then you hear the noise as it stands up. And it was absolutely horrifying. There's no big jump scare to it. There's no like, Oh, cutting back and forth. Like, what is it? Is there something around? Like he kind of does later in the cave scene with father Pruitt, but that was still well done. Um, it was just, it was scary. And that's kind of like the kind of scares I like, where it's like... Same. Oh, man. Yeah, like, not not necessarily like... Oh, I mean, like, it's it's similar to the shot in The Conjuring, when it just kind of, like, holds on that 
demon presence on top of the dresser. Dude, that shit scared the absolute fuck out of me when I first saw the concert. Dude, it still scares me. Because it's not like a jump scare, or it's not like a forced scare. It's like a, oh no, that's genuinely terrifying. Like, wow, I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about that Dude, for a yeah, long no, time. Before I finished the show, like when it was like you... After that episode, I was unsettled at night. I was like, mm. and then it was like, I think after Riley was turned, I think that because you see him walk in, but it's the way it moves. Even in a well lit room, just when the vampire slowly turns, clocks Riley's there, and then just launches himself. That's still scary. <laughs> oh, that was so scary. I actually have that in here saying that uh, when Riley gets attacked, that was done really well. I mean, that thing is scary. Because it's, like, the way each of the characters register it. Like, Father Paul being like, right. oh. And then Riley kind of being like, what the hell is that? And then when it turns and he gets that full realization, that split-second realization before it jumps at him, that, oh, that is something that's not... I don't even know, like, how to word it. Like, that's not something that is of this world, I guess. Hey, so wait, quick question. In the first... Or is it? I think it's the first episode... When Riley's chasing something on the beach, is he chasing that fucking vampire? Yeah, because I think it's the vampire in the... Monsignor's old clothes. I think you see the vampire wear the Monsignor stuff when he gets attacked. Uh, yeah. So I'm almost positive it's the vampire. Well, because it in the first couple episodes, it's like stalking around. Like, you see it... Dude, that's another scary shot when they're smoking or doing what a drinking. Oh, yeah. On the beach, and you see the head just disappear really fast. There's that Ooh, one. That was scary. Then there's one where it's outside Aaron's house, and you kind of see it. Like, it's off-center in the camera, a little bit in the background. And you just... Because they do so well with those eyes. Those eyes are piercing, but they're also not overly... You don't get overly drawn to them at first. The only scene yeah, where you truly it, are drawn so, to them is, I think, the scene in the house at the end of episode two immediately. Every other scene, right. it's kind of like... You would oh. notice it at the corner of your eye. And it's just for the a second. Aaron one... I was watching it on my phone, uh, and I didn't see it. I re I like watched it like three times, and I could not see whatever I was supposed to see. It's like, and so I just. Uh -huh. It's supposed to be like I think from the one scene is it's like to the left side a little bit up in the middle, and it starts moving, and you're like, oh shit, what the fuck? The other one when the yeah. sheriff is talking to his son, and then he turns the light off, and its face is right there in the window. That one scared. Oh the yeah, that shit one got me. that one got me really hard. <laughs> Yeah, that one that one really scared me. There was that so like dude, I don't know, so like the Aaron one reminds me of the scene in signs when Fuck. Uh, Yeah, what does he say? There's a monster outside my window or something like that. And you just see it standing and, on the roof. Dude, I it was probably like it took me until like my sixth or seventh time watching that movie before I could see the, the silhouette. <laughs> like I never knew what we were supposed to be looking at. And there's the scary music accompanies it, so it was so horrifying to be. I'm like, what is out there? What did they did see? Did that just make the scene almost scarier to you? <laughs> yeah, because I couldn't, I couldn't forget about it. Because I was like, there's a monster that all these people are seeing, but me. And like, what is it? Dude, I remember the scene and just like just to finish this little tangent on signs. I the scene where it's like the home video from Mexico. I watched signs oh, when don't I don't even get me started. I think dude. I was like seven or eight watching this movie with my mom. And that scene happened, and it scared the dog piss out of both of us. Like, it scared... It's so good. And it's so it's funny. It's so scary. It's so funny, because that scare... 
given the time and the context of horror when that movie came out is very interesting because it is more akin to what Flanagan is doing now where it's not a true jump scare. It's just this thing walking out of a bush and it's not like walking at you. It's just walking out and walking away, but you're still just like, Oh, what the fuck? Like you just know in your heart of hearts that that's bad. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing that early Shyamalan and that Flanagan does so well is they don't they're so good at establishing tension and dread and suspense in your soul that just the appearance without that music cue that just like Dum, and it's right there like you cut quick to it it's like you're in a stationary shot and it just moves and it's like right horrifying oh yeah and like man yeah flanagan does it so well and i mean with bly manor where they were just ghosts hidden in like a lot of shots that weren't the focus oh wait <clears throat> excuse me i meant haunting of hill house hill house is the one i was talking about i get i say the wrong one all the time hill house where you're just watching a random shot of people talking and then it's like oh wow there's a ghost right there the whole time that's horrifying or oh there's a hand of a ghost holding the table leg wow that's actually god i'm not sleeping tonight that is so scary because it's like people walking around oh i saw a shadow out of the corner of my eye or something moved over there and that stuff is scary but when you're watching a tv show where you know the house is haunted and it just it's not the focal point of the scene the scene's job isn't there to try to scare you it's like if you're paying attention it's like you get that extra scare congratulations like something is there it's that, and, and, right. and I think it's like something he does well here, um, because I don't know. It's not. This is not the same scary. He doesn't. Besides, I think he the jump scare with the sheriff turning off the light is this like the most just jump scare scary. Like, and I don't think he's ever. I don't think he's ever gonna top the jump scare from Hill House because I have, and you you were rocked by it more than me just because of how you were watching it, but. That is the most I have ever felt, just like that fight or flight <laughs> instinct. Oh, same here. In my life, yeah. Like, Holy fuck. I mean, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I'll tell the story. I was in my dorm room. My roommate was out. I had all the lights off because that's the best way to watch horror. And I, <laughs> I had my laptop in my lap. I'm laying in bed, and there's this jump scare. Uh, spoilers nelly jump scares uh her two sisters i like in a in half a second i don't know how i did it closed my laptop and threw it like a frisbee across the room there was my brain was off that was a pure fight i closed it and threw it at the wall you were like fuck no get out you were just like ah it's essentially the same dent in it that's the same reflex as if like you're at a haunting a haunted house and you punch one of the actors in the face it's the same fucking reflex absolutely (laughs) i can't believe i did that that's the worst i've ever been scared in a movie um but i think it's about time we wrap it up i mean just so final thoughts final thoughts is just this is and i think i've i've used this before describing Flanagan, but the best way to describe any of Flanagan's shows is that there's they're beautiful. They're so beautifully crafted with all these characters, and it just gives this such deep, nuanced view on these conventions, on these norms, and these things that like with religion, and then 
he goes in i mean religion does get the focal point but there's death how we view death addiction even gets its point of view in this one and i think i don't know i still think hill house is my favorite and that just mostly comes down to there is a little i think it's just my like view on religion is what would hold this one from totally being number one but it is i mean any one of his shows is like amazing work like it's like trying to it's trying to like rank your three favorite things um right and um i I agree with all that um i think this is a very nuanced view of modern religions um i think it's a beautiful story with incredibly beautiful writing Uh, i agree i think hill house is better i identify with hill house a lot more uh, even even though I've had my issues with religion, and I think this did an incredibly beautiful job representing a lot of different aspects of the spectrum of belief, um, but Hill House just kind of takes the cake. It's it's perfect. I, think, I really have no issues with Hill House. Yeah, like this one, I have my minor nitpicks. Like I said, like it's like if Hill House is like a ten out of ten, this is like a nine nine point five. Uh, yeah, that, I was about to ask you, what do you think you would rate this series? So yeah, like a four point five, probably a four point five. Because if we're going, if we're going to yeah, keep standard with those it. ratings, it'd be a four point five. Yeah, I've got a four point five out of five. All right, thanks for listening to this uh, very long week of movieish. Because this is the end of part three. Um, starting next week, we'll be back to the one episode model. Uh, There was just a lot going on. Parker was out for a week, but this is how we decided to tackle it. But we will see you all next week. Yep. If you enjoyed what you listened to, please share it with your friends, uh, social media, what have you.